Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it was through your Holy Spirit that you breathed out your word and you inspired the apostles and prophets who wrote it for us. Grant now that same spirit to work within our hearts, to open our minds, to open our hearts and grant us understanding to give us a deeper faith, a response of lasting obedience. May we respond to your word rightly and according to your will. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. If you'll please open your Bibles to our sermon text, Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18, through the end of the letter. Uh, Pew Bibles, page 985. <clears throat> so Colossians 4, verses 7 through 18. Here now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. As Paul comes to the end of his letter to the Colossians, he wants to leave them with a strong and lasting impression that they are not alone. They are in the midst of a spiritual battle as they defend themselves against the false teachers, as they put to death the sinful practices that belong to their own nature. But in this spiritual warfare, they are not alone. All throughout this letter, he has shown them 
how the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who is supreme over all things, has reconciled them to God through his death on the cross. And so the result is their sins are forgiven. They are reconciled to God. And through faith, they are united to Christ. And so they are filled with every spiritual blessing in him. He is transforming them to be like himself. And so certainly the Lord is with them. But also we see here in this section of closing greetings, we see the community of fellow believers that have rallied around them for their support. All these things are true of you as well, believer. You are united to Christ and you are a member of his body, a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. And so here in this section of closing greetings, Paul gives us insight into this, the value of spiritual friendship. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone, but in community. Now, Paul did not do ministry solo, but always with a group of friends, fellow ministers who lived and worked at his side. And here he introduces us to a number of them. In this approach, he was simply following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ who gathered the 12 apostles around him. And he always had a wider group of disciples and women who followed him and supported him, all of whom were not just disciples, just followers who tagged along, but they were actually dear and beloved friends. And that's exactly what we see here. In these closing greetings, it teaches us how much we need deep spiritual friendships to encourage us and strengthen us as we serve the Lord. So this passage is far more than just a list of random names at the end of a letter. These brief snapshots, they give us examples to follow. They spur us to go deeper in our relationships within the body of Christ. So Paul begins this passage by introducing first the two letter bearers who will bring encouragement to the Colossians in verses 7 to 9. There was no postal service in the Roman Empire. If you wanted a letter delivered, you needed someone to carry it for you. Paul entrusted this task to a team of two men, Tychicus and Onesimus. Now, Tychicus was one of Paul's most trusted companions who had already spent a considerable amount of time traveling with Paul. Paul describes him here in three ways. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Now, this is a high commendation for a man that Paul had the highest confidence in. And so he entrusted him to bear this letter over a thousand miles to make sure that it reached its destination. Now, since he is a fellow minister, he could also be trusted to explain the letter, to answer any theological questions that the Colossians might have as they read it, as they discussed its contents. He could explain it to them. Now, along the way, they would also make a stop in Ephesus, which was 120 miles from to the east of Colossae. As we see in that letter to Ephesus, Tychicus was the letter bearer for that letter as well. And there was a third letter coming along this journey, Paul's letter to Philemon, and we'll see a fourth as well in a moment. He was likely also carrying the letter to Laodicea. So we'll be looking at the letter to Philemon in detail next week. But between, it's clear from the similarities uh, between the letters that those letters were sent together. 
And that's why Onesimus, the runaway slave, was returning to his hometown of Colossae, Lord willing to be reconciled to his master, Philemon. And yet here, Paul, he says Philemon is coming along. He's one of the letter bearers. But he doesn't speak here of his status as a slave. He doesn't speak about the fact that he had broken the law and running away from his master. He doesn't even tell the story here of how in God's providence the Lord had led him to Paul, from whom he had heard the gospel and put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't tell the story of how he had grown in maturity and godliness to the fact that Paul deeply trusted and relied on him. Here he simply describes him as a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. He is one of the Colossians in the sense that he is returning to his hometown But now this is true in a deeper sense. He left as a pagan, but now he returns as a believer. He truly belongs. He is one of of the church family. He is truly one of them. He truly belongs to the church. I will look closely at Paul's appeal to Philemon in that letter next week. But here we really see an appeal to the whole church. They are to welcome Philemon They are to consider him a faithful brother, just as Paul does. And in receiving Onesimus back with open arms, they must put the gospel into action. That there is no slave or free within the body of Christ. For Christ is all and he is in all. All are one in Christ. Now note how Paul highlights the faithfulness of these two men. They are reliable. They are steadfast. They are faithful. And so he's setting forth these men as examples to be followed. Then we see the task that these letter bearers have beyond simply carrying the letter. Three times in three verses, Paul says in slightly different ways that they will tell the Colossians the news. They will give the details about Paul, about how he is, what he is doing, what has passed. They are to give the news. Paul could only write so much in the letter And he leaves it to the letter carriers to fill in the rest. And the purpose of this, he says, is to encourage your hearts. You might wonder how Paul, being in prison, how the news about him will encourage their hearts. But as I mentioned last time, Paul was using every opportunity, even though he was imprisoned, to carry on the work of proclaiming the gospel. And it was working. The gospel was spreading throughout Caesar's household, throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. He was proclaiming the gospel without hindrance, even though he was in prison. And furthermore, his ministry of letter writing, his ministry of prayer, these things were thriving during his imprisonment. The Lord was using his chains to advance the kingdom. And so Tychicus and Onesimus would tell the Colossians, all about this in order that they would know the Lord could use his trials and the Lord could use their trials to accomplish the Lord's purposes. It's also helpful to remember here that they had never met Paul. Paul had never visited Colossae. And still they would find strength and encouragement by hearing how the Lord was at work through his servant. 
applying this today, it's so easy to pull out your phone, to drown in a news feed filled with bad news about our world. The violence, the sin, the increasingly ungodly world, uh, ungodly culture around us. And now we have multiple wars breaking out around the world. Of course, Jesus told us to expect such things in our world before his return. So we aren't surprised, we shouldn't be surprised. And the truth is things could get worse. At the same time, the kingdom of God continues to advance. There is incredible news coming out of China of the growth of the underground church despite heavy persecution. There's incredible news coming out of the Middle East of how the Lord is bringing many to himself, even though they risk their lives every time someone leaves uh, Islam and puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Now here, I want to encourage you to be connected with our missionaries and our church planners and evangelists. And just practically here at our church, come to the presentations during mission months Sign up for their newsletters, read the bi-weekly updates in our bulletin so that you can be encouraged as you hear how the Lord is building his church even in the midst of adversity. And of course, Christ's church is bigger than just the OPC. Now, you know Christ's promise. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that's true. But it's so helpful to see in concrete terms how he is accomplishing that in the world today. To get the news. Exactly what is he doing. So be encouraged by the news of what God is doing through others. Now I'm applying that first of all to those in frontline ministry. On the front lines of missions. And church planting. But of course the same applies to you as you share with one another what God is doing in your lives. As you share how he is answering your prayers, helping you through your trials, as he's helping you through your struggles with sin. The Lord is at work. And we share the news so that we might encourage one another. Next, Paul moves from the letter bearers to greetings from his fellow workers who remained with him in Rome. And we have greetings from six men here, three Jews and three Gentiles. Now first, Paul gives greetings from Aristarchus, who Paul says is a fellow prisoner with him. Aristarchus had accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey. He had then helped deliver the gift of support to the poor believers in Jerusalem. And then he had traveled all the way with Paul from Jerusalem to Rome. It's not clear why he was imprisoned with Paul. Perhaps he had been imprisoned for preaching the gospel or... It's possible even that he had voluntarily submitted to imprisonment in order to share in Paul's suffering. Now, Paul mentions how Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, also called Justice, are the only Jews among his fellow workers. How they are a comfort to him. Paul had been called by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he, meant he spent most of his days, most of his time in majority Gentile churches. And you know how he had truly embraced this vision. He believed with all his heart that in the body of Christ there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. And yet you also see, as he writes in the book of Romans, how he laments how few of the Jews had embraced Christ 
as their Savior had understood that he was the long-awaited Messiah that they had been looking forward to for centuries. And then considered of those few, how even fewer had joined Paul in this cross-cultural mission of reaching out to the Gentiles. And so Paul truly valued these few faithful co-laborers from among the Jews who were at his side, even as he was in prison. Now we read in verses 12 and 13, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Now, Epaphras is the man in some ways responsible for this letter in at least two ways. First, we learned in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, that he is the one who originally preached the gospel in Colossae. He founded this church. And second, he's the one who then came to Paul and told him about the church. He shared both about their faith and probably the the troubles that were facing the church. This what led to Paul constantly praying for them and eventually led to him writing this letter. Of course, you would think that Epaphras would be eager to return to Colossae, that he'd be the one carrying this letter to them. As we learn from the parallel letter to Philemon, that he, like Aristarchus, was also imprisoned with Paul. He was unable to return. He could only send his greetings. Now, as the church planter, he was most likely a pastor, if not the pastor of the church in Colossae. I imagine it was tearing him up inside to not be able to return, to be stuck in prison in Rome. And again, we don't know how he ended up in prison. But Paul testifies that he has worked hard on their behalf. It could be translated painstaking labor. And I don't think Paul here is just talking about what he did before he arrived in Rome. They already know about that. He's talking about what he has done since they have been apart, since he has been in prison. He is talking about Epaphras' hard work of struggling, of wrestling with God in prayer. Here we have a true example of a prayer warrior. And perhaps because of the limits God had placed on him in this season of life, because he could not return to them, this was the only way he could minister to his people. And so he gave himself fully to this ministry of prayer. There may be times in life when there are no other ways to minister to a person except simply to pray for them. And yet, what a powerful ministry this can be. And how God has promised to work through the prayers of his people. Perhaps it's simply that you're out of your depth, that you have no other advice you can give, and so you pray. Or it's a medical problem, and you're not a doctor, you can't do anything for this, and so you minister to someone through prayer. Perhaps the person is far away, you cannot go to them, so you minister to them through prayer. As you know, what happens to so many of us as we grow older, our bodies have become frail, your mobility is limited. You can no longer go out and participate in as many ministries as before. You're stuck at home. 
but you can still pray for God's people. The Lord uses the prayers of his people. What an example we have here in Epaphras. Next, Paul mentions Luke, and we learn here what we would not otherwise know, except in this short mention. Luke, the beloved physician. He was not only a gospel writer and the writer of the book of Acts, but he was a doctor. And in Paul's final letter, 2 Timothy, when Paul knows he is nearing death, he was likely suffering in bodily from the many years of, of beatings and the way he had suffered in his life for Christ. It was Luke alone who remained at his side, Luke the doctor who was ministering to him. And so gathered alongside Paul at this time, Paul, the writer of 13 New Testament letters, you also have Luke the writer of the gospel and Acts, as well as Mark, the writer of the gospel. And then we have the last writer, the last name on this list, Demas. And here I want to contrast the stories of two names here, the story of Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and the story of Demas. For Mark had accompanied Paul and his cousin Barnabas on their first missionary journey, we learn in the book of Acts that he abandoned them halfway. And so when Paul and Barnabas were getting ready to set out on their second missionary journey, Barnabas, he wanted to give Mark a second chance. He wanted to take Mark along. But Paul objected. And this, this led to such a sharp disagreement that Paul and Barnabas actually went their separate ways. And yet here we see, several years later, Paul and Mark are fully reconciled. There's no longer any question in Paul's mind that Mark is trustworthy. And so he, he's, he commends Mark to the Colossians. But then we have here a brief greeting from Demas. But later we read something differently. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Most understand this as full-blown apostasy, Demas turning away from the faith. It's also possible that, like Mark, he was only abandoning Paul, not completely deserting his faith in Christ. Either way, perhaps Demas would repent and be restored. Perhaps not. We don't know the end of the story. But we do have a contrast here between these two men. And these two stories present us with several lessons. First, of course, is the need to be steadfast, to be faithful, to persevere to the end. And of course, Mark presents that picture of a man who, though he fell at one time, he persevered. And of course, the second lesson is that even when you fall like Mark, the need to repent, to repent, to turn back and be restored. And then third, we also see here a picture of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of restored trust, just as Paul urged us in chapter 3 to bear with each other, to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. And so we see that same sort of forgiveness that has led to Paul's restored relationship with Mark. And then fourth, even just in this small snapshot, there's a reminder that though our friendships in the church should generally be characterized by love, by mutual encouragement, 
they too are marred by sin. Paul occasionally suffered betrayal by those that he deeply trusted. And you can't prevent this by choosing not to trust anyone. We need each other. We are called to love others in the body of Christ. And of course, you must invest in relationships, and this will make you vulnerable. At the end of the day, if you are sinned against, when you are sinned against, your resilience comes from the fact that your deepest trust is always in the Lord, and that you have received grace upon grace from Him. And so we see Paul's six fellow workers that send their greetings to Colossae. Next, Paul encourages, encourages the Colossians to have fellowship with the church in Laodicea, verses 15 and 16. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Laodicea is the next city over in this Lycus River Valley where Colossae was. It's about 12 miles away. And the church there had likely also been started by Epaphras. And here we learn Paul has written a letter to that church as well, probably also carried by Tychicus and Onesimus. And he wants the Colossians to exchange letters. Make sure that both churches read both letters. Now here in the public reading of the apostles' letters, we see the beginning of the practice that we continue today. We still read these letters aloud in the church, and then we proclaim the, the truth of the inspired word of Paul, the inspired words written down by Paul and the other New Testament apostles and prophets. Now, in God's providence, the letter Paul wrote to Laodicea, it's now lost. It was an apostolic letter, and yet clearly God did not intend for it to be preserved for the whole church for all time, because if he had, we would still have it today. And while we don't have Paul's letter to the Laodiceans, it's interesting. Surely he would have greeted them in that letter. So why does he also tell the Colossians, give greetings on my behalf to the Laodiceans? Didn't he greet them already in his letter to them? Perhaps it's just a nice thing to say. You say to your friend, tell Bob I say hi, even though you plan to go and see Bob later today and say hi to him yourself. But beyond politeness, I think there's a sense here that Paul is wanting to spark fellowship between these two churches. He wants to deepen their connection with one another. He's strengthening this fellowship between the two churches. He also encourages them to greet Nympha and the church in her house. Nympha was likely a wealthy widow, a homeowner. She's probably the one who hosted the church in Laodicea in her home. And so he mentions her as, as really the sponsor who, who hosts the church. This is the time before churches would have the resources to purchase buildings. And so we strengthen connections between churches whenever we visit a sister church when we're out of town, when we pray for our sister churches regularly, when we have a joint service and we welcome our brothers and sisters from churches nearby as we're doing next Sunday evening. 
In all this, we need to remember that while there are many congregations, many different places where Christians gather, at the end of the day, there is one church of Jesus Christ. All true believers are united to one another because we are united to Christ, who is the head of the church. Then we read in verse 17, And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Archippus' name comes up one other time in the greeting to Philemon, where we read Philemon 1, 1 to 2. This letter is to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Now, since Paul addresses him as a fellow soldier, it's likely not a literal soldier, but a, a soldier in the warfare in the Lord, and he's connected to the house church of Philemon, and he calls him here to, to do the work of the ministry. And we can't be certain, but connecting all these things together, the likely conclusion is that he was the pastor of the house church meeting in Philemon's home. At the same time, perhaps he was suddenly thrust into more responsibility when Epaphras, the founder of the church in Colossae, left. And so now we see this charge from Paul to the whole church to say to Archippus, fulfill the ministry. The whole church is now to hold him accountable to fulfill the ministry that he has been called to do. Now, in one sense, Paul is giving a gift of accountability to Archippus. At the same time, I imagine it would be a bit overwhelming to be put into the spot like, the, like this. At the very end of the letter, it's one of the last things Paul says. Archippus, everyone's looking at you to fulfill your ministry. But sometimes we need accountability to follow through with the service that the Lord is calling us to do. And that's another important role that spiritual friends in the church play, holding you accountable to fulfill your duties in the Lord. And if there's something you know you need to do and you're struggling to do it, you need to reach out to a friend and ask them to hold you accountable, to call you to account. And perhaps Archippus needed this encouragement. Perhaps Paul knew that he was struggling. Perhaps, perhaps Epaphras had told Paul, you need to encourage, uh, you need to encourage Archippus. And perhaps the Colossians needed the reminder that he was now their minister and they needed to encourage and support him as he ministered the word of the Lord to them. And so we need to be encouraging one another to fulfill the things that the Lord has called us to do, to be using the, the gifts that the Spirit has given us and uh, to be uh, doing the work that the Lord has called us to. Now, this brings us then to the final verse of the letter, verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. And Paul, he used scribes to write his letters, but he always took up the pen at the end to write the final words in his own hand. It's sort of like writing a signature today, and it served as a verification, an authentication that this letter was truly from Paul. And then he gives this final word, urging them to remember his chains, remember that he is suffering for the sake of the gospel. He closes with a final benediction. Grace be with you. 
It's a reminder that the grace of God in Jesus Christ, it's the foundation of everything, the foundation of our salvation. And he opened the letter in the same way, saying that it's the grace of God in Jesus Christ that is with us. And he closes it in the same way, declaring the grace of God over us. Our salvation is all of grace. Our new life in Christ is all of grace. When we deserve the wrath of God for our sins, God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to bear that wrath in our place on the cross. When we deserved his wrath, God showed us his favor. He grants us not only forgiveness, but eternal blessing, eternal life. And this is grace. When he continues to daily work in us to help us to put off our sins and put on Christ, this is all of grace. And as we've been considering this morning, how he surrounds us with a new family in the church, spiritual friends who encourage us, who walk along beside us, who speak the truth to us in love, we realize this is a gift that we do not deserve. This is all by the grace of God. And so we need his grace. We depend on his grace. We live by his grace. And so Paul closes the letter, and I'll close today by saying, the grace of God be with you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for Jesus Christ, our Savior, and for the grace that we have received in him. We do thank you that you have not only called us to yourself, that you have forgiven our sins, but that you are continually working in us to grow us to be more like Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you do this work not uh, for us all by ourselves, but you have called us into uh, a family, that you have called us into the church. And we do pray that within this church you would be growing uh, deeper relationships, deeper friendships, uh, that we might encourage one another, that we might hold one another accountable, that we might uh, truly go deep in sharing uh, those areas where we need uh, strengthening, where we need help, where we need, um, where we need insight, and that we might, uh, through these deeper friendships, uh, as iron sharpens iron, uh, strengthen and encourage one another. We pray, Father, that you would work these things within us and uh, through these friendships be building up your church where we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.